Hello, podcast listeners. Chris here, and I'm asking you one more time for your help. We here at the Arc Stories podcast are currently taking a survey of you lovely listeners. It's going to help us learn just a little bit more about you and what you think of the show, which will then help us make this podcast even better. It's just 10 questions and will only take you a few minutes to complete. You can do it right now by simply visiting arcstories.com slash survey. Don't wait. Go ahead and take it. And if you provide us your email when you do, we will enter you into a drawing for a $25 Amazon gift card. We're going to give you until Friday, May 26th, and then we'll randomly select the winner of the gift card. So go on. You can keep listening to the show while you answer the questions. Just go to arcstories.com slash survey. All right, let's get to it. Welcome to the Art Stories Podcast. So there I was, standing in front of a group of strangers attending a football game, being cursed out about Doritos. A minute or two later, Taylor Swift comes out and she like smiles at All-American Nashville smile and she, she introduces herself, she shakes my hand. Hey, I'm Taylor. Hey, I'm the groom. We're bringing you true personal stories told in the Southern tradition and recorded in front of a live audience. I caught just enough of the video to see a very large man making this slow walk toward a van, wearing absolutely nothing but his underwear and coated in grease. And I'm going to stop right there, and the rest of it is history. I'm your host, Chris Kinsley. We are releasing this episode a few days after Mother's Day, but we here at Arc Stories love moms so much and did not want to miss out on celebrating mothers everywhere. So on today's episode, we're bringing you two stories from our latest live event where our theme was Word to Your Mother, Stories About Moms. And if I had to choose just one word to describe the moms in these stories, that word would be strong. And this first one, the strength this particular mom exhibits is a great emotional fortitude as she experiences both the ups and the downs of mothering children. Here's storyteller Carrie Madden. Okay, so um, our son was born in Los Angeles on November 8th the day George Bush Sr. was elected. And um, I thought I might vote on the way home from birth. <laughs> the way one does. <laughs> he was two and a half weeks overdue, and um, it had been a long night of labor, and then labor stopped. And I said to my husband, uh, it's Tuesday, and I'm so tired, I swear, uh, if we can just go home, I'll come back and have the baby on Thursday. <laughs> and that's when the midwife said, so how do you feel about having this baby? <laughs> and I wanted to say scared, so scared. But instead I said, good, fine, okay, because that's what responsible people said or pretended. And then <laughs> labor kicked in again and uh, it, I described it as cinder block surrealism because there were no drugs to dull the pain. And, uh, but when he was born a few hours later, she lifted him out, put him on my chest, and he was looking at me, 
And, and she said, look at, look at your baby lifting his head like that. They don't usually lift their heads this fast. Look at him looking at you. And my husband was crying and trying to hold us both in his arms. And nobody prepares you for the, the magnitude of motherhood. How could they? So um, a few hours after that, it, we had to go home. I mean, the midwife is like, okay, <laughs> it's the birth center. You go home. And I was like, you what? You're not going to come with us? <laughs> and so, so we got in our 14-year-old beater car and drove back through uh, Los Angeles to our apartment on Valentino, our studio apartment on Valentino Place. Um, it was uh, next door to pa Paramount Pictures uh, right in Hollywood. And uh, it was an old apartment building, and it was rumored that Valentino's ghosts roamed the halls and played tricks with the ancient birdcage elevator. And Aphrodite was this working actress who lived upstairs. And we got the apartment because my brother-in-law, my husband's brother, was a cameraman for shows like uh, All in the Family and Golden Girls and Married with Children, but he was burned out on Hollywood. And so he'd given us a lease to his apartment and also a couch from the set of the Jeffersons. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so when we pulled up into the alleyway, uh, Aphrodite's coming out of the apartment building to go on her way to an audition, and she stops at the car and she says, when was this child born? And she looks at me and she's like, and why aren't you in a hospital? And I said, well, the midwife said it's, you go, and she's like, you want to hear it. And so my husband had to park the car, so she picked up the baby, and I followed them in the house, and we had to walk up a couple flights of stairs because the, the ancient birdcage elevator was broken again. <laughs> and I thought, you know, was, did I ever think about the fact that the, the Greek goddess of love and beauty was carrying our son over the threshold? <laughs> or did I take it all for granted? Um, a, few weeks, a few weeks later... Um, we started to get letters from our students whom we had taught English to in China. And they, they said, dear teachers, uh, congratulations, auspicious birth, baby boy born in the year of the dragon. <laughs> um, so uh, the first book I read to our son was Where the Wild Things Are. And we danced the wild rumpus in that studio apartment. Um, but our son didn't look like Max. He looked like Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes. So that, <laughs> that became his nickname, Calvin. And um, as new parents, we tried to do things right. And we, uh, my husband has high cholesterol. And we were worried about Calvin getting high cholesterol. And so I thought, you know, I, I was nursing him. He was about a year old. But I thought, I'm going to start giving him skim milk. And I'm going to nip this cholesterol thing in the bud. <laughs> you know, and I'm going to deal with that. And then... <laughs> One of the other mom, I told one of my close friends, and you know, who was a mommy, and she's like, skim milk, are you crazy? They need whole milk. They, their brain cells are developing. They, they need fat for brain development. And I was like, oh my God, okay, whole milk, whole milk, got it. And then, and then I, <laughs> I thought, okay, well, and then I was also giving him whole pears and whole um, whole apples because he had eight teeth at eight months and he was really remarkable. He could just chew on these pears and apples. And <laughs> but then he would drop them in the sand and they'd get coated and disgusting and I would just, I'd just rinse it. I said, it builds up immunities. You know? <laughs> um, 
And around that time, we had a, a, a little girl, same midwife birth center, we did it again, and um, we wore them everywhere, and they looked like twins. Um, and then when Calvin was four, he breathed like an espresso machine. And so the doctor said, his tonsils are the size of basketballs. They, they got to come out. So the day of the surgery, the nurses, uh, or the, they, they gave him something to put him under. And he looked at, looked at us, and he pointed, and he goes, Mommy and Daddy, you're giants. You're giants. <laughs> and the nurse, the nurse said, don't ever let this kid take drugs. <laughs> So, I was like, God, anyway, <laughs> so uh, we moved into a bigger place, we left Valentina Place, moved into this little house, and we were kind of like, I kind of like stagehand parents, I, I set the art table up, and got the crayons, and the paintbrushes, and the, in case they, or Play-Doh, they had to make things, and we had a trunk full of costumes, so they had to put, if they wanted to put on a play, and my husband put in a garden, and had like pumpkins, and champagne poppies, and he built a King Kong topiary, and Jasmine grew out of it, and we, we showed the kids old movies, and it's true, I did tell Calvin that, for some reason, we didn't get Power Rangers or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on our television set. They just, I don't know why, it just, we didn't get that channel. So, <laughs> so he bought it and we, I showed him Charlie Chaplin movies and he loved Charlie Chaplin and he would take my mascara and make himself a little Charlie Chaplin mustache and eyebrows and we got him a derby hat and Kiffin, my husband uh, made his, gave him a little cane. And so we'd go, uh, we'd go to the video store two for one, you know, and he'd go ask Charlie and, uh, <laughs> He was really cute. It was funny, and um, and then he then he discovered the 1941 Wolfman, and he loved the Wolfman. Oh, it was it was Larry Talbot, and he felt so sorry for Larry Talbot, who was trying to be so hard, who was trying so hard to be good, except when the full moon arose, <laughs> and he started telling people, um, "My name's Larry, Larry Talbot. I'm like the Wolfman." <laughs> so, and I picked him up from school one day. He was in kindergarten, and he had cut all the hair off the center of his head. There was nothing. It was like a reverse mohawk. And with the little scissors and tried to glue it to his arms. And so, his, his, his teacher was horrified. And she's like, I'm so sorry. And I said, he's really quick. It could have happened to any of us. So, so I had to take him to uh, Supercuts because there was nothing to be done. And give it him a, he got a buzz cut, and I was like, oh, Calvin. <laughs> but, in, but he loved it. He goes, I look great. <laughs> so, um, and then after the Wolfman, it was Dracula and vampire teeth. And then it was uh, Quasimodo with a, with a, you know, ringing the bells for Esmeralda. And, and then it was Captain Hook sword fighting. And he would go, he began to go to the video store in the costume of the movie he wanted to rent. And so, um, and he and his sister, actually one Halloween were uh, Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein, <laughs> they were <laughs> for Halloween. And then um, he, uh, a friend of ours gave us two cats and our son named his cat Quasimodo and our daughter named her cat Emily. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, 
Then we had another, we had another little girl and our family was complete and um, Calvin became the big brother of two sisters and he would put them in his movies and our friends would say, man, that guy's gonna be giving us jobs. He's gonna be, well, he's gonna be hiring us for films. And, um, and he would climb to the highest tree and, you know, look at me, look at me. And then he'd say, you know, he, he smelled like uh, sun and dirt and salt and adventure. And, and then he, uh, he grew wilder, <laughs> and he went to high school, and he, uh, he formed a rock and roll band, and they were really good, and they, they, they had, they, they, we drove them to gigs, and, um, and then they won Battle of the Bands at the Greek Theater, and they got to go to the Warp Tour, and then the party started, and I would say, um, Calvin, you just got to call us. You got to check in. And he would, I, I, yeah, I will, I will. And of course, Calvin didn't, he didn't call. And so I had a, in the tease of my, phone, of my directory, I had, it was just teenagers. <laughs> so I had every teen numbers and I would find out where the party was because it was consequences. So, you know, I'd find out where it was and my husband would go and drag him out. And so, um, but he graduated with low honors and high tops and silver snakeskin pants, you know. <laughs> And he was on to college, and he studied film and comparative lit, and he dropped out for a little bit to make a movie, and then jumped right back in and graduated on time. And um, we, that was a shock. We were like, my, how? you know, and we all went up for graduation, and my parents were all excited. And then he, he got a job uh, with Disney and sent me his, his, his ID card, and then he... He got, a, um, he got cast in an indie film, and then he went on a rock and roll tour. He went to Germany to promote his, his, his indie film. He started to work in television, and then he became an addict. And this, this was not the plan. Like, we had, we had set him up to have this, this life, and, and this wasn't the plan. And so I wasn't having it. I was like, this isn't, we're not, we're not doing this. This is, we've worked too hard. And so, um, so we decided, um, we were told to have an intervention and, and to invite everybody, we invite, invite everybody to save him and like everybody who knew him. So it was like parents, not pa grandparents, sisters, brother, you know, sisters, cousins. And so they all, everybody was, was, you know, like hail, hail, the gang's all here. We're gonna save, we're gonna save Calvin. And then my, the, the interventionist came and he was like a, he was like a white knight from the desert. And I remember that he, uh, he took my sister, sister's credit card and he swiped it through her phone under this LA street, under a palm tree for, um, for $4,000. Um, and my sister never asked for the money back. And, uh, and I was thinking like, how is this our life? And so, um, so we gathered to plan the miracle, and the interventionist was great, and he goes, letters, you guys, just letters. So we all wrote letters, and letters came from far away, those who couldn't come, and, there, and, and we were, you know, the, the intervention was scheduled for 7 a.m., the miracle, and I figured he'd be saved by 7.30, you know, <laughs> so that's how it was going to happen. And so, um, so we... And I thought we, I would take the letters and we would press them into his hands and the words would go up into his head and heart and he would hear. Um, but people who, you know, I didn't understand that, you know, that, that, um, that speed was meth. That's how dumb I was. And I didn't, and I, and I didn't, well, people who take meth, they don't sleep. So instead of this uh, um, uh, miracle, it was like a, 
a crack of dawn, macabre surprise party. <laughs> and Calvin, Calvin wasn't happy about it. <laughs> and so um, imagine this, this living room with you know, bad carpeting, a dumpy couch, dusty, dusty bookshelves. It was our living room. <laughs> and, and 15 people crowded in. And, and he, he hung around to hear a couple letters. Um, and then he basically, you know, he ran out of the house in, in a rage and told us what we could do with our miracles. And so I remember I was holding onto my friend's hands and I, they helped me to lie down and, and, I, and I, I felt like our bed was in the middle of the ocean and these, these waves were just like lapping over it. And, and then I, I got up a little while later, and the interventionist was like, you know, okay, that's, that's not what we wanted, but you know, they don't say yes the first time around, so you guys, you guys can go to family therapy in the desert. And so my, my husband and I are like, yeah, let's go to, we'll go to family therapy. We'll do that together. And so my husband and my mom and dad are like, we'll go too. So the four of us, <laughs> we go off to the desert to have family therapy. And in those, uh, and it's a full week, nine to three, and in those sessions, um, uh, most everybody, the, uh, we all were in little groups, and so my little group, everybody's addict pretty much had come, so they could talk to them face to face, but since mine didn't come, um, I had to talk to the empty chair. And, and so I thanked the empty chair and told him I loved him, and I thanked him for making me a mother. And my own mother was down the hall uh, with her therapy group, um, and she had said all week, I can't wait to talk to that chair. I can't wait to talk to that chair. And then she said, she yelled. She yelled at that chair. And later by the pool, she said, well, I told that chair a thing or two. <laughs> so, and then a woman came up to me and said, I know you're working really hard here. You're working really hard, your mom and dad, your husband. But your son isn't going to care that you went to family therapy. And I looked at her and I thought, She's not being mean, she's just telling me the truth. And it was like we were on this chain gang of parents of addicted kids and she'd just been at it a little longer. And um, so the last day was a grief lecture and I thought, I don't wanna go to a grief lecture, but we, we had, it was like the last thing. And the grief lecture was, it was so full of, it was about love and joy and light and forgiveness and the, this, the sister, it was a sister who gave it and she was beautiful, and I was crying. I couldn't, I, I, I just couldn't stop. So I, had, I went to the bathroom, and I was like, pull it together. Just pull it together. You can do this. And I, I walked out and, um, when, I, when I had myself together, and I ran smack into the, the sister, Sister Geneva. And she, she I, I tried to just, and she saw me, and she just grabbed me, and she held me so tightly, and she said, you have loved somebody so much. And isn't that a wonderful thing? So um, Calvin went to rehab and relapsed, and he went to rehab and relapsed, and he went to rehab and, and, um, and so on. And there, I, I, I spent several, many years crying, and so much that, so that my tears were so boring, <laughs> like you again. And this friend of mine said, I want you to find an object, because I just couldn't shake the bad mother feeling, like, what did we miss? We missed, we, we, what did we do? We had, the, we had the art table. She's like, forget the art table. <laughs> so, you know, and so she said, find an object. So I, I found this, um, the, uh, this bone, this cow femur, and the kids had gone on a, they'd found it at their grandmother's farm in Tennessee when they were little. They'd gone on this 
bone hunt with their cousins and come back as these explorers and come back ecstatic with treasures. And so, um, so I call it my bad mother bone and I, I, I hold it <laughs> and I put it down. Because she, she said, just put your feelings in it and, the, and they're just feelings and just put them down. Um, the intervention was, um, was four years ago. And it's like, it's kind of like being in this aquarium or like Calvin's in an aquarium and, or we're, we're in two aquariums and I can look over, but I, I can't, um, I, I can check his Facebook status active one hour ago or active one day ago. Um, but I can't um, call him because he doesn't, he doesn't live anywhere and he can't hang on to a phone. And um, so, uh, you know, once upon a time, I oh no, he'll post a he'll post a picture of himself um, tightrope walking a bridge in downtown L.A. Um, and sometimes I think about that that couple, you know, who we rocked once upon a time we rocked this baby um, on Valentino Place and we stomped and danced the wild rumpus and my husband would wear him in a baby sling and uh, you know I I. The, in those days, Valentino's ghosts roamed the halls and Aphrodite lived upstairs. And I, I mostly get over the ache of missing someone who's, who's here but not here. Um, uh, because I, who's here but not here. Um, I hold, I, whenever, sometimes I ask myself, like, how much longer do we have to do this? And, and then I realize it does no good to ask those questions. So whenever possible, I hold my grown girls a little closer because they miss their brother and they long for him to be a brother again. And I, I take a walk with my husband and we look at trees and I, or I make a wish or I, I make a pie or I write a story to somehow reclaim our lives. And sometimes I imagine that Calvin is on this amazing movie shoot somewhere in an exotic location. But then I remember that our, our boy, uh, now a man, that somewhere on the West Coast he lives and breathes and dances and sings and tells stories and sleeps under trees and maybe someday, like Max from Where the Wild Things Are, he'll find his way home. Thank you. Carrie Madden is an author and associate professor and the director of creative writing at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. You can find her on Twitter at Carrie Madden. If you're enjoying today's stories, we would love to have you join us for more at our next live event. It's coming up next month on Saturday, June 10th at the Avon Theater in Birmingham, Alabama. Our theme will be Uncharted, Stories of the Unknown. We're still looking for some storytellers for that event, and you might have the perfect story. A first day on the job, meeting someone new, going on an adventure, finding yourself in an unexpected situation you're completely unprepared for. It could be all kinds of things. So if you have a story you want to tell, let us know by visiting our website, arcstories.com. That's also where you can get all the info on the event and your tickets. Again, that's arcstories.com. 
All right, the mom in this next story is also exhibiting an incredible amount of strength, but it's a lot more than she ever intended to have to possess. And she has her husband to thank for that. Here's storyteller Joseph Kinnor. My wife and I, when we were about to have our first child, we did everything you were supposed to do. We bought the books, we read the books. She bought the books, she read the books. But, because they're long and they're a lot of words. Um, and, and we went to the childbirthing classes. We went to those classes that tell you what to expect, that tell you everything you need to know. They tell you how gross childbirth is. And, and I remember sitting there with all of these, there are maybe a hundred couples in first time and they're showing this video and there's this woman up in the stirrups and 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 there's James and there's James Taylor music playing in the background <laughs> and and I and, and we're all you know like oh, oh this is not right and especially with James Taylor and then they do this thing there's this 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 it just shows up on the PowerPoint it says delivering the placenta and James Taylor's playing in the background. <laughs> and then the next thing I know, they're showing the placenta and it's being delivered and everybody recoils, just, just flies back. And they tell you in these videos, they prepare you for that, and they tell you in these videos to pack a bag. You know, when you're going to, um, going to the hospital, pack a bag, be ready, be ready for that. Take, bring reading material, you know. On April 1st, 2004, I am working out of town um, down in Mobile, and I get a call from my wife about 4.30. She says, I'm in labor. You need to come home. So I hop in my 1996 Honda Civic, and I drive that poor little thing, 95 to 100, all the way to Birmingham. I get pulled over in Montgomery, and he goes, why are you driving so fast? I'm about to have a baby. Well, slow down, you're going to kill somebody. I said, okay. So I I start on again, and he didn't give me a ticket. And the closer I got to Birmingham, the calls that I was getting from my wife says, uh, it might be false labor. <laughs> Which they didn't tell you about in the video. <laughs> and we get there, and surely enough, on April 1st, you see where that went. Yeah. No baby. So we go home and we, you know, we stay the rest of the night there at the hospital. They keep us the rest of the night. We go home. And the next Monday, I'm, I'm set to go to work. Well, about 3.30 that morning, she wakes up and she starts having pains. But they feel a lot like the, the false pains. And they never were regular, you know, like two minutes apart, one minute apart. They were very scattershot, you know, 10 minutes, then maybe, you know. So she says, go to work. So I'm, All right, so I go to work. And about 8.30, she calls, and, and, and the Alabama Power kept me in town because I was, you know, close to having a baby. And, um, she calls, and she says, I'm going to go to the doctor. Would you like to meet us? And I ask at work, and they say, we don't need you, and I, which is good to hear. <laughs> and, uh, um, so I meet my wife at, at, at um, a convenience store, and her mother brings her there. We go to St. Vincent's. That's where babies come from. And we go into the, the waiting room, and um, 
I'm sitting there reading a magazine and I'm in my, my tan overalls, I've got my work boots on, I've got my hat, I've got my badge that has my picture on it. Now I was growing because I thought it would be cool. I grew a baby beard. <laughs> so starting in like September, I just let it grow. And the only difference between that one and this one is it was, it was red back then, 13 <laughs> years ago, but, but now it's not. And I look like something that crawled out from under a bridge. I'm just sitting there and I'm, I'm not, not terribly clean. And we get in, and, and I'm sitting there reading a magazine, and, I, and I, I'll, I'll hear my wife. She'll go, she's having a contraction, you know? And I'll, look, listen, I've watched TV. I always expect when people are having contractions, they're screaming. Oh, you know, you watch it, and you know, it's not like that, apparently. And uh, we get back to the doctor, and the doctor looks, and the doctor goes, well, you're having a baby today. Oh, okay, today, like this is happening today. They're like, yes. So they, they whisk us up to the birthing suites, and the birthing suites at St. Vincent's are great. Um, and they, 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 they get her in the bed, and they come in, and they say, okay, we're gonna you know, give you the epidural. Some people go natural when given the choice. My wife goes, I want all the drugs, all of them. <laughs> Whatever it is you got, I'll take. So the, the, the people come in to give her the epidural, and they go, sir, now they don't let you do this anymore, but they go, sir, do you have a problem with needles? And I'm like, no, I don't have a problem with needles. Needles don't bother me at all. And then they pull this sword out, and they, <laughs> and they jam it in my wife's back, and, I'm, and my knees just... Because <laughs> apparently I don't have a problem with needles. I do have a problem with swords. <laughs> but I made it. I didn't, I didn't pass out. I didn't throw up. I just got a little weak. And, and, and I go to sit on the couch, because that's where I'm supposed to be. Because I don't know anything about birthing babies. I'm, I'm going to be on the couch. I'm going to read my entertainment weekly. Let me know when you need me. <laughs> well, they said, well, Dad, we need you. What we need you to do, okay? You will take your, your left arm under your wife's shoulder, and then you'll take your right arm at her, at her knees. And then when it's time for her to, to push, you're just going to squeeze her together. And, and I'm like, like, like an accordion? And they're like, no. But so, so every once in a while, I'll get up and I'll squeeze her together. And she's a little bitty thing. She's five foot nothing. I squeeze her together and I go sit down. Well, I get up and I've squeezed her together. And, and, and I look down and, and, and I notice there, there's fluid. And one of the things the videos don't prepare you for is the amount of fluid you will have in this room. And, and I look, and there's this puddle of fluid. And I'm, I'm like, I look at the bed, and I go, well, is it coming from her? No. It's coming from me? No. And then I see there, there, there's a tube running down here, and then running up to the bed. And it's disconnected. It's unscrewed. And I realize what that is. Time slows down. That's the epidural. And all, like I said, time slows down. And in a split second, all these thoughts are going through my head. I go, well, I could. I could just reach down and screw it back together. I didn't. And then it's like, clean up, you know, just grab a towel, clean it up. And, uh, but I go, no, but like if there's an air bubble or something and, and, and she would die, that's bad. 
you know, if I could have just, you know, put it together and, and then later she starts failing things, I go, well, that epidural worked. What are we paying these people for, you know? But I don't do any of that. I go, I go, nurse, come here. And she goes, yes, and she walks around there. I go, what's this? And she says a thing you never want to hear a, a professional say. She goes, oh, that's not good. <laughs> then just to add to it, that's really bad. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And then she does what I would have done. She just screwed it back together. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I asked my wife, I go, are you feeling anything? She says, well, no. And the nurse is like, well, yeah, she's not going to feel anything right now. But about an hour, an hour and a half, that that's on the floor that should have been in her back, well, isn't going to be there because it's on the floor. My, my, my son, my firstborn, has been difficult from the very beginning. April 1st, he came and said, and right on time, right on time, it's time for Billy to get there. Now, also at this time, it's a full moon, and I know people, you've heard this before, but Babies tend to be born on full moon. My son was two weeks early on a full moon. And there were 15 other women in the same state of baby given on that floor. And there was one doctor. Our doctor wasn't there. Our doctor had taken a vacation. You know why he took a vacation? Because it was a full moon. He didn't want anything to do with it. There's one guy running between all these women. And they're all at the same state. And it's time for my son to, to make, his, make his arrival into this world. And about the time she starts feeling it. But my son's not coming easy. He, he said, no, 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 no. You're going to have to come get me. <laughs> he had turned sideways. And they bring out the jaws of life. And they put the jaws of wife on my wife, jaws of life on my wife, and she starts screaming, screaming. She had talked to a friend of hers, who um had had a um. I'm going to get this word wrong. Doula? It's not mula, is it? Doula. Okay. And the doula said there are ways you can scream, where you you, you scream but you keep it in. Well, she didn't do that. <laughs> and she's screaming to the point, I know the other 15 ladies on the hall that are at the same state of baby giving her hearing it, because it went out into the hall, it went through the doors into the waiting room where my wife's mother heard it. And she comes in the door. She walks in, the nurse is like, ma'am, you can't be in here. And I said, you're not gonna stop this. No, 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 let her stay. So the doctor, the doctor at this point, gets in the truck, drives into my wife, gets my son, and comes out with him. And they hold him up, and there, there's, there's the cord, and they go, would you like to cut the cord? And I go, why not? I've, I'm batting a thousand so far today. Let's do this. And I cut the cord, and they take him they take little Joseph William Kennard III and they hand him to my wife. And for the second time this night, time slows down. Time slows down because I look and I go, 
my God, there she is. This is the bone of my bone and the flesh of my flesh. This is my love and my life, and she's holding my son. I'd seen her as a girlfriend. We dated for five years. We'd been married for five years to that point. But I'm seeing the mother of my son for the first time. And I knew two things in that instant that time slowed down. I knew two things. I knew that there was a, there was a strength in her that ran deep that I hadn't really seen before. There's a strength in her that ran deep because she's, she's laying there radiant, holding my child. And that whatever this life can throw at her, this strength is going to allow her to come out on the other side of it, whatever it is, radiant. Second thing I realized is that I was going to pay for this. She now had in her quiver the nuclear arrow. And it didn't matter what she did. We could be having the discussion of, well, why did you burn the house down? Did you think it was a good idea to build a fire in the living room? And at that point, she can go, did you think it was a good idea to step on the epidural? And I will go, fair enough. Fair enough. So, all of that said, happy Mother's Day. Want to know more about Joseph Kennard? You can find him on Twitter or Instagram at JW Kennard. Okay, surely you're done with our survey by this point, and now all you have to do is kick back and wait to find out if you won the gift card. But in the meantime, why not leave us a review on iTunes? It's another way to show us your support and to help others find out about us. We've made it really easy for you just to visit arcstories.com slash iTunes. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to the Arc Stories podcast. I'm Chris Kinsley, and you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Chris Kinsley. Arc Stories is at all those places, too, at Arc Stories. This podcast is produced by me and Arc Stories director Taylor Robinson. Preston Lovingood composed our theme. Special thanks to Eric Chapman from Symmetric Sound for his audio expertise, as well as to Aaron Moon, Betsy Lee, Audra Whaley, Leonard Lee Smith, Nate Dreger, and Sam Goodwin for making this episode possible. Visit us online at arcstories.com. There you can listen to other stories, stay up to date with all of our events and everything else we have going on, and even submit your own story to tell. After all, we are always asking, what's your story?